Let us pray. Gracious Lord, we ask that you would teach us more of your truth, help us to know, experience, and share more of your love in the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Happy Easter and welcome. Glad you're here. You can relax for a minute. You found a parking spot. You got everybody dressed. Everything happened. You're all here. Let's celebrate. Um, We're here to celebrate. That's what we're going to do. But it's also, I want to just kind of point out for a second that we're celebrating kind of at a weird time, I think, with what's going on in the world and around us, right? Because we're coming out of this pandemic. We are at a time when there's a war of aggression taking place where we're hearing and seeing all these things going on. And we got like 40-year high inflation. So there's like all this stuff that's here kind of weighing on us, but we're gathering to celebrate. And I want to bring those two together, believe it or not, today and talk about that because I want us to celebrate Easter full on for what it is, but I also want us to appropriate and take in that Easter power into our lives in a way that affects how we deal with everyday life and in particularly with how we deal with the temptation and the pull to be fearful. That's kind of where, where I want to head and go with things today. And when we look at um, the gospel lesson that was just read a minute ago by Nate, that's from Luke, but there are four gospels. And they each tell the gospel story in all its main ways the same, but there are details that are different. I kind of want to mesh them for a minute and just kind of start talking about some of them. But when you start looking at it, it's interesting to think about the place of fear on this day. Because when you look at some of the accounts, by some of the accounts, the very first words that get said after the resurrection are when the first people arrive at the tomb, they find it empty, and then they encounter the angels. And the angels say to them, do not be afraid. And then later, someone got a a fire alarm going on. They don't, they don't train us for this in seminary. (laughs) This is not the worst one though. The worst one I ever saw was at a ordination where the bishop had just said, is there any reason why this person shouldn't be ordained? And they were, but they were throwing incense everywhere. So it made the alarm go off. Ah, that's what's going on. If you there's lots of incense in the church right now. We're going to take a minute. Well, if this keeps on too long, we'll ask we'll ask Justin to come up and tell us some of his jokes. I don't know. I don't I don't want to do anything serious with this going on. He's got, a lot of, he's got a lot of rough jokes to tell. The one he told me the other day was, uh, I don't know if y'all can hear me or not, but, uh, oh, Whew. Should I finish with that one? We'll, we'll do a palate cleanser before we go on, right? Justin told me this joke this other day about this guy that, that got to talk to five different CEOs asking them, what's the secret to success? And they all said the same thing. How did you get into my house? <laughs> Sorry. All right, where was I? <laughs> All right, we'll pick back up. Hopefully they'll lay off the smoke upstairs. Um, yeah. Where was I? Yes, do not be afraid. Even as the alarm goes off. That's what, that's what we were figuring. That's what we gathered, yeah. Um, but we all, at some level, we all do face fears. You know, I think when you go look at the history of things, it's ancient, right? The very first words that a human says in the Bible are when Adam is where he is and Adam 
is says to back to God, I was afraid and I hid. And there's something that, you know, that when you go look at the passages of scripture, there's over 300 something passages that say, do not be afraid, like 360 something. And I think part of it's because we're, we, that's frequent where we go. We're inclined to be afraid about whatever's going on. And people may think, oh, not me. I'm not afraid, but we're afraid. People think about, you know, in ways that are maybe subconscious, we start to think about, did I wear the right thing to church today? Are people gonna look at me and say, is that an Easter outfit that's right, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm happy to have it on a uniform. I don't have to think about it. <laughs> or we think about maybe some of the synonyms that make us realize maybe the way we engage fear more than we do. Like, I'm troubled, I'm concerned, I'm anxious, I'm sleepless, or whatever different ways that we, that we may think about synonyms for fear that we embrace. And they do survey work on people. And it's interesting to me to see, I was reading some of the surveys in preparation for this. Um, there was one university that did a survey just about a year ago about some of the things that are on the radar now that may not have been there in the past. They said some of the top fears that people face today, like 80% on this first one, a fear of corrupt government officials. That was not on my radar, but apparently that's a fear. Obviously people we love dying, but people we, we love getting COVID or widespread civil unrest. These were not things on my radar, but we can think about all the ones that are more usual that come up. And I'm just speculating on some of these, but people get afraid of losing control. People get afraid of rejection. People get afraid of being lonely. Um, people get afraid of being inadequate. The fear of missing out or the fear of being found out or being canceled or the fear of being unloved or being unlovable or the always fear of dealing with some health issue that's going on, or the fear of what's going on in our careers. I had lunch this week with a friend of mine who was telling me that um, he was let go unjustly many years ago, and anytime somebody higher in his organization calls him and says, let's go to lunch, it triggers him, and he goes into like lockdown. Am I about to get unreasonably released or whatever it is? There are all kinds of fears that, that swirl around us, and I think they're exasperated by where we are in the world today with all these things I started talking about. And I know it sounds weird that I'm starting an Easter sermon this way, but I really want us to not only celebrate Easter, but I want us to think about how Easter comes into our lives, into these places where we are leaned towards being fearful and how it can make a difference. And I want to continue to say more about that. I want us to be able to celebrate not only Easter the Easter resurrection, but the impact of Easter. And as we do that, I want you to think about a couple passages of scripture. The first one is from 2 Corinthians 5, where St. Paul says this, Jesus included everyone in his death so that everyone also may be included in his life. And this is something that we talk about during baptism. We talk about how when you go down into the water of baptism, you die with Christ and then you're raised with him for a new life with a new orientation, new purposes, new goals, new understandings, new, new all of that, it changes us. Or one more passage of scripture along those lines, this is when St. Paul is writing to the Romans and this is in chapter eight. He says, this resurrection life you received from God is not a timid grave tending life. In other words, it's not a life of fear. It's an adventurously expectant, greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Papa, kind of thing. It's this idea that when we lean into and understand the resurrection and bring it in, 
it changes how we live. It changes how we approach everything that goes on. I think that's one of the reasons and part of the reason that when Jesus teaches, he says the truth will set you free. Because the more we know and the more we understand about the way things really are, it'll change us and make us look at everything differently. Well, what I want to do next, I want to pivot and I want to look at just three things about the resurrection. Three things about what the resurrection brings that will help us to celebrate and also to bring it in in a way that will um, tamp down the fears that we face in life. The first one of these is to think about how this testifies to Jesus as one who speaks truth. Jesus is one who speaks truth. And the reality of it is, if you go survey history, Jesus is not the first person to ever say, I'm God. And you may have some friends who even say that today. <laughs> I do, or at least they think it. But there have been people throughout the ages, and seriously, who have said that. Um, and Jesus would be crazy if it were not true. So I want to I just say some things he said, but then I want to say why I think he's different than everybody who's gone before. When you start looking at the things that Jesus said, they are things that only somebody who really believed they were God would say. So think about some of these. He said, I'm the bread of life. If the Son sets you free, you'll really be free. If you receive me, you receive God. If you've seen me, you've seen God. I and the Father are one. Your sins are forgiven. We get all these different kind of things that he says, but there's something he goes on to say that's different because he says in advance, more or less, I'm gonna tell you that this is true because I'm gonna tell you what's gonna happen to me and you can see that no one else is gonna be able to do this and you watch this happen. Sinners are gonna get me, they're gonna persecute me, they're gonna kill me and on the third day I'm gonna rise again. He tells his followers this like three different times as they head towards Jerusalem, this is what's gonna happen. And then in the end, that is what happened. Jesus is resurrected. And we don't have time to go through all the discussion about the different ways that we know this. Like nobody's ever asking anybody in the Christian faith to take a blind step of faith. There's evidence, there's reason that takes you to a place. You always have to take a step, but there's reason. It is a rational belief that te- heads you that way and calls you to, to go that direction. But you think about the empty tomb that we think about on this day. And sometimes people will say, but wait a minute, the empty tomb, that could be all kinds of explanations. The authorities stole the body. Yeah, but if they'd stole the body, as soon as the, there was a, this big swell around all this energy around it, they would have just said, oh, hang on, here he is. And it'd been over with. Or sometimes people will say that robbers took Jesus out of the tomb, but the only thing of value that Jesus had in the tomb were his grave clothes. And we get that the disciples ran there and that was the only thing that was in there were the grave clothes. But maybe more importantly is how Jesus appears to people after the resurrection. He appears, as I said, as we started today to the women, he appears to the disciples, but ultimately there's a day where he appears to like 500. And St. Paul is really quick to want to say, a lot of those people are still alive. Why don't you go find some of them and talk to them and hear it and listen to it? Or you might think also about Jesus's followers. You know, you think about these guys go from being a bunch of huddled, scared, defeated, beaten down, depressed folks who've seen their, the person they followed for three years die to suddenly being zealous people who are out saying he's alive and he makes a difference. And ultimately all of them 
are going to die terrible deaths. And all they had to do at some point is say, stop. I was just, no, it wasn't really true. And they would have been off the hook. But all of them go to being, you know, Peter's crucified upside down. They're beheaded. There are all kinds of, of different ways that they're tortured and killed that they could have got out of with just by raising their hand. And none of them do it. We get that Jesus, there's great evidence that Jesus was resurrected. And once you get to that place, it changes everything. Because now when we look at Jesus, we're looking at him differently. All the things he said are true. All those things I mentioned a few minutes ago are true. We get to understand that he is God. And we look at how he handled scripture and what did he do with scripture and what did he teach and how did he handle these different things. And we think about in places like, to go back to, the, to this notion about fear, we think about in Matthew 6 where he says, don't be anxious about what you're gonna wear or what you're gonna eat or all these different things, but keep, keep things oriented where you got God's kingdom first. And then Paul, who, writing under the inspiration after he's encountered Jesus face to face, He's going to go and say what I understand from the internet people like they who monitor all this stuff and get all this data. They say this is the most highlighted passage of scripture that everybody reads online. It's from Philippians 4 where Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. But with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which passes all understanding is going to dwell in your heart. That's what we get. So there's the first part about this is just we celebrate today and we think about how this comes in our own lives. That what Jesus said and did and taught was true. That's part of what this is because he's resurrected, just like he said it was going to happen. That he, he said, it, I'm going to die. I'm going to be tortured. I'm going to die and I'm going to be raised. And he was. And along with that, I think the second thing we hold up that goes both to celebrating and to everyday life as we deal with fear is the fact that Jesus overcomes death. He's the first one. We're not talking about resuscitation. We're not talking about anything like that. We're talking about somebody who's dead for three days, who's raised from the grave. And, and all these people get to experience and understand it. The second chapter of Hebrews says all that's going on because it's, it's showing the defeat of Satan's power over death so that we can lean into and know that we have life. We can think about how this also gets said um, in 2 Corinthians 4. St. Paul says, we know that the same God who raised Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus. This is the, uh, the message translation, by the way, so if it sounds colloquial, you know what's going on. This is why we never give up. Even though our physical bodies are becoming older and weaker, our spirit inside of us is made new every single day. And our present troubles that we're going through right now, they're quite small compared to the bigger perspective. And they won't last very long, but they are producing in us an eternal glory that's gonna last forever. We know that we're gonna face stuff that's always gonna push us in places, in corners, that's gonna make us fearful. We're gonna face pressures, hard times. There are people that are gonna face the darkest chapters of life. Some of us will at various times, but it's never the last word. It's never the last word. That's part of what hope is. 
And we know not only that, but the ultimate is knowing as we head towards death that we'll be raised. That Jesus is the first and the promise is that we die with him and that we'll be raised with him. Well, there's one more aspect of this that I want to look at and I want to dwell here just a bit because I think it's so important. But one of the things that we get from Jesus's life, death, and resurrection is some sense of how ridiculous and extravagant and over the top God's love is for us. We get something about how he knows you, that you're the beloved, and that he calls you. He's going all the way. You know, sometimes people talk about fairy tales, you know, that that in fairy tales, the people will die for the king. Here the king comes and dies for us. We get part of that message, part of what we see every time we look at a cross is how much God loves us. He didn't just send us a postcard saying, I love you. He came down amongst us, entered into our own pain, our own suffering. He knows what it is to be immobilized on a cross, not able to move. He knows what it is to be betrayed. He knows what it is to have so much anxiety that that he's got tears or a sweat that's like blood in the garden. Let this cup pass. He knows all this stuff. He goes through it for us because he loves us. And I don't think we can dwell enough on what that love is. I love the passage uh, that St. Paul gives us in Ephesians where he talks about encouraging all of us and the followers in Ephesians to know what this love is like. This is in Ephesians 3. He says, may you be able to feel and really understand how long and wide and deep and how high God's love really is. And may you experience this love for yourselves even though it's so great, you'll never fully understand it. It's huge. So just think about, I don't know if you caught it, what St. Paul describes it that way. He gives four dimensions to it. And whether he meant this or not, I want to just think about that for a second. The first one of these is thinking about how he says it's so long. And I think for a minute, when he says so long, it goes on forever. That God will love you forever. One of the things that many of us crave, we want, deep down is we want a love that never ends. We have agony every time any kind of love, whether it's a pet or anything, changes. Because we want love to be constant and forever. And that's part of what this long is. God is saying, I will love you forever, for through eternity. It's never gonna change. That's part of it. Or he says that the love is so wide. And I think when he says wide, I think about how there is no place on the planet you will ever go where God's love is not there. There's one of the Psalms that talks about this. Like it doesn't matter how high you go in the heavens or how low, it doesn't matter where you go, God is gonna be there. What that means for us in living out this, the trials of our own lives is it, it doesn't matter what hardships we face or joys we face, whatever it is, whatever we face, God is there. There's never gonna be a place you're gonna walk into that he's not there. And right along with that, so right along with that, I think is where Paul says about how deep it is. And we think about how deep his love is. It means whatever pit you go into, however dark it gets where you don't even see the light on the horizon. And I've got some friends who are in that place right now. That God is still with you in that place. And we can go to extremes of people who've been there and and look at it. The one that comes to my mind um, is to think 
about Betsy Ten Boom, who's the sister of Corey Ten Boom. If those of you have read the book, The Hiding Place, you know the story. This was a, this was a Christian family in the Netherlands who hid Jews during the World War II, and they were eventually caught. The whole family gets sent to a concentration camp. They all get killed, except, except for Corey Ten Boom. And she later writes about it, and she writes a number of books, one being The Hiding Place. But one of the things that she oftentimes repeated and kept repeating is how Betsy, her sister, who dies in the concentration camp, would comment and say that there is no pit so deep that God's love is not still deeper. There is no pit so deep that God's love is not still deeper, that he's in that place. It's long, it's wide, and it's deep. And the final thing Paul says is high. And I would think of that, I wanna say that God's love is high enough that it will forgive whatever it is that we've done. <laughs> whatever sins we have, whatever brokenness, whatever faux pas, whatever things we've got wrong, whatever bad decisions we've done, that in God's grace and in, his, in this, this love that's high, that he forgives all that. And he will never give up on us and he will never leave us. The passage of scripture that I think is so powerful in this and, and um, this is the passage, there are all kinds of passages a priest might read to somebody when they're doing last rites. This is the one I read to people because it's the one I wanna hear. It's from, also from Romans 8 where Paul says nothing will ever separate us from God's love, nothing. And he goes on to give examples in that passage from Romans 8. He says death cannot separate us, life cannot, the angels cannot, the demons cannot. He goes on, our fears for today, our worries for tomorrow, even the powers of hell cannot keep God's love away. Nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that comes through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And I think when we own that, when we let that kind of love surround us, be in us, the fear just drops away. The, our worst day is not the final word and we're still loved and we're gonna keep walking. I think um, for us, this is, this is now me preaching to the choir for one second, but I really think for us as Christians, that needs to be our message. We need to get that message of love out in a way that we're known for it. There's one preacher that I used to listen to when I lived in London for the year. And one of the sayings that he had, which I really loved, is he would say, Christians, we need to work on being known for what we're for and not what we're against. And when I think about what we're for and not what we're against, we ought to be talking about how radical God's love is for us because there's a whole lot of people that will never understand when people start saying, you shouldn't do this or do that, or that's not God's best, or you won't flourish. Set all that aside for a minute and just talk about how God nurtures and loves and is there for you. I was thinking about this the other day um, because I heard, was actually reading a transcript uh, of an interview that took place about three years ago between Terry Gross on NPR on all things, on what's the name of the show? Fresh Air, sorry. And she was interviewing Elton John and I want to read part of the transcript that they had from their um, exchange. This is just part that dealt with um, an interesting topic. Terry Gross says to Elton John, you almost left rehab because, well, one of the reasons was when it got to talk of a higher power, when it got to, as you describe it, the God talk, 
you felt like that's just, that's just not for me. Elton John says, yes. And Terry Gross says, she follows up and says, well, and you really thought seriously about leaving? So I'd like to know what upset you so much about the God talk and if you were able to find a way into that talk. Now, Elton John says, well, the God thing, I was angry because God for me represented punishment. You know, God will punish you for doing this. God will punish you for doing that. And I hated the word God. I really resented the word God. And then someone said to me, listen, do you believe there's something greater than yourself? And I said, of course I do. There's been so many things in my life that have happened by chance or just, you know, the decisions I've made that I've been prompted by something inside of my soul. Of course, I only have to look up in the sky to believe in something greater than myself. Or I'll go walk in a field or I'll look at a mountain. And they said, well, then that's it. Use it. That's how. Say higher power instead of God. And I went. I can do that. I can do that. That may be my rabbit trail but for, for the sermon, but I want us so badly as Christians to put love first above everything else. I want us so much to know that that's what surrounds us, that that's what will be with us forever, and that's what God has. And when we think about this fear thing, I'll just say the antidote to fear is love. There's a passage in scripture that says, perfect love drives out all fear. I've got a, a, a pastor that I know who writes and says, when you open up that front door and let full, love fully in, fear goes out the back door. The more we can take on that love that we see in Easter and Jesus's life, death, and resurrection, the more it will automatically help us to push the fear out of our lives. So to, to think about this, Jesus told us what was gonna happen and that's what happened. And so we can believe him. That's the truth. We can go back and read scripture knowing what he said, he did, and we can read those passages of scripture in a different kind of way. We can look at Jesus and understand that he said, we're gonna die with him, we're gonna be raised with him. And we can approach life and every fear that comes our way differently because of that. But also we can think about what we can see in the cross, this great love that God has for us and where it takes us. It gives us something to celebrate today on Easter and it gives us something to deal with everyday life and particularly with our fears. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you that you love us so much that you sent your only son. We celebrate the Easter miracle on this day. We celebrate that Easter impacts how we live. We ask you to help us to take that on board and to live open to your call in our lives and to your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.